This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to the top people and ideas. Powered by U-Mobile. 5G makes business sense. Good morning, you're listening to The Breakfast Grill. I'm Shazana Mokhtar. L'Oreal is a centennial beauty brand that has become synonymous with its iconic tagline, because you're worth it. Can it continue to hold on to its leading position in the Malaysian beauty market amid increased competition from regional and local brands? Joining me to discuss this and more today is Thomas Hruska, the CEO of L'Oreal Malaysia. Thomas, good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Grill. Good morning and thank you for having me. L'Oreal set up base in Malaysia in 1995, which isn't that long ago when you compare it with Indonesia, where you've been since 1979, the Philippines, which you entered in 1989. And I know you're a newcomer to the Southeast Asian business, but do you have any insight into what accounts for this staggered expansion across the region and the relatively recent foray into Malaysia and even in Thailand, which came in in 2000? So I would suggest probably to start with uh, introducing a little bit the company to your listeners because I think many of the of, of the people know our brands, many of the people know our products, but not everyone is very familiar with the company. So as you said, it's more than 100 years of history, precisely 1909 that the company was founded in, uh, in, in France back in the time. And uh, since that, uh, the company, of course, went through the international expansion, opening new markets, new territories. So today we operate in more than 150 countries, 88,000 employees, so very big company, leading beauty company in the world. And in this phase of expansion, there was, of course, a, a rhythm to it and a pace. So you mentioned the year 1995 from Malaysia, which is the start of the subsidiary. So our brands were here even before, probably distributed by some of the partners before. Mm. But it's true that our subsidy was funded back in 1995. I note that um, last year, Singapore and Malaysia operations were merged into one division. Was this a cost-cutting exercise after the hit from the pandemic, or are there other strategic reasons for this merger between the two uh, subsidiaries? No, I would not say it was a cost-cutting exercise. Rather the opposite, it was a signal from the group that we want to stay in the region and to develop it further. I think one of the key words in this exercise was about scale. Capacity to invest behind our brands, capacity to invest in the future in all the new digital technologies, data technologies. Today we speak about, a lot about AI. So all of these new things, we would not be able to do it as a two separate units, Singapore, Malaysia. But joining forces, we are much stronger together and we are now able to do it and to invest more about behind our brands. This might go into the nitty gritty, but where is your subsidiary registered then? If it's Malaysia and Singapore, is it is the headquarters here in KL or is it in Singapore? So we have decided, and that's very good news, of course, for, for Malaysia, and it shows the confidence and the, the, the perspective that we see in Malaysia. We have decided to, to put the headquarters of this new organization in Malaysia. So we are now headquartered here in Kuala Lumpur. The organization counts more than 1,000 employees today between two countries, so it's very sizable. We have created many new opportunities here in Malaysia. We have uh, invested a lot in uh, all the new digital ecosystems, recruited a lot of uh, lot of new people, created a lot of new functions. So the headquarters is here. 
And the way we operate that we have a common strategy for the region, meaning that our brand strategy, our launch plans, our communications plan will be pretty much coherent for the region. And of course, then we have independent, what we call go-to-market teams that would be in charge of operating, being very close to the consumers, very close to the business partners in each country and operating this strategy that is regional and to make it happen on, on each country level. When you say regional, do you mean Malaysia-Singapore region or the whole of Southeast Asia region? Malaysia-Singapore. So, okay. of course, uh, we are in charge in our organization of Malaysia-Singapore. We also have our regional headquarter that is also seated in Singapore. And uh, this regional headquarter is in charge of a very big geographical zone that, that we call SAPMINA, mm. which is Southeast Asia, Pacific, Middle East and North Africa. So very large region. So this is, uh, let's say, our our region we belong to. And within this region, we operate Malaysia Singapore. And it was the first uh, regional cluster that was created in this part of the world. And many of these examples were ex already existing in Europe. And I had a chance to lead uh, some of these clusters in Europe before I came to Asia. So uh, it's not new to the group. It's really a matter of, uh, as I said, bringing scale, having larger organizations and being able to invest more behind the brands and invest in the future. Okay, so I was going to ask why would you choose Malaysia as your headquarters, but it makes sense that you have the Malaysia-Singapore headquarters here in KL, but you also have that regional overseer in Singapore looking over the broader Satmina SSA region, as you said. And if we look at um, the percentage of sales coming from that big region, Satmina, I think to, altogether they account for about 7.7% of global sales in 2022. Can we refine that share even further, how big is the Malaysia-Singapore contribution to that 7% share? Well, what I can share that we became, of course, with this merger, we became a very sizable business unit within this region. So we became uh, the, the subsidiary number four in, in the region. We are very important in the growth. And you mentioned that, uh, of course, the region is probably still not yet at the level of uh, 20 plus percent for the group. But it is the region that is driving the growth of the whole group. And we are part of it. We are also growing much faster than the group average and we are of course contributing to the to the performance of the Sapmina region but also to the group so we are really committed to grow and that's our role and, uh, and this is why once again why we created this organization when you say growing faster than the group average could you give me some numbers on that how fast is Malaysia Singapore growing in contrast to uh, the group well some of the figures we cannot publish I can tell you that we you can you know take the published uh, figures from the group which uh, at uh, the first semester was growing plus 13% and, and like for like performance. So we would be much above this average to give you some guidance. So really developing strongly our, our, our sales here. And uh, more importantly, I think this is our commitment even for the future. Mm. You mentioned it in the beginning, we entered this market uh, in a structured way, let's say, in 1995. So the company is still very young mm. in a way. Yes, we are a leading uh, player in the beauty market, but still uh, uh, still uh, relatively small, I must say. So we need to grow. We need to bring more brands. We need to bring more categories. We need to recruit more consumers to our brands. So there is still a lot, a lot to do in, in the region. You have four product divisions. That's consumer products, luxe, active cosmetics, and also professional products. So how would you split that pie up then in terms of percentage-wise? I presume assume that consumer products would be the biggest part of the pie. How how much in percentage terms are the remaining divisions in terms of revenue generation? So Lux would be very sizable in, in, in Malaysia and uh, in Singapore. It's, it's, of course, very big business by nature, very well established brand and also giving the the, let's say, higher purchasing power and, and that we see in Singapore. This division is very well established in, in Singapore. But even when we consolidate, it's very, very big division uh, in Malaysia as well. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, growing very fast. And then we see that it really addresses the, the more the affluent part of the population and would be really uh, competing, I would say, with the consumer product division in terms of the size. And then the, the two other divisions, floral dermatological beauty and uh, professional products would be a little bit smaller, but uh, growing very fast. And in particular, the floral dermatological beauty, we have big hopes behind this division and big hopes and big development plans to bring this brand, uh, the set of brands, uh, much further. So it would be perhaps 40% for consumer products, 30% lux, and then the remainder would be between the two. Yeah, you can say it like that in uh, roughly to give you what I can disclose in front of uh, in front of the public. Right? Understand. I want to talk about your product lineup because I noticed that the mix is actually different across different Southeast Asian countries, right? You have 36 brands globally. I believe that only 14 are marketed here in Malaysia. And Singapore, I think, also has a different uh, product mix as well. What goes into deciding uh, what you make available in the different markets. So uh, once again, coming back to our uh, origins. Uh, so we are a young company in both countries, Singapore 1990, Malaysia 1995. And if you look at the very core brands that were launched since the beginning, that would be very coherent with you know how the company starts and was starting to enter new territories at the time. Of course, our biggest brand, biggest worldwide brand, Laurel Paris, Royal Professional for, for, for the hairstylists and hair professionals, Kerastas, Lancome, all of these big worldwide brands that were launched first. And we, we took time and we are taking time to develop these brands, establish them on the market. Uh, and of course, we are looking forward to bringing new categories and new brands in the future. And we will. It's just a matter of time and, and uh, making sure that the brand is well established. We are not here to... Uh, to um, to launch very quickly new brands mm -hmm. and not succeeding in launching these new brands, we are very committed uh, to do it in a sustainable manner. To you know, to loyal the consumers, then to bring a new brands with a, another positioning to recruit a new set of consumers. Really, to to make our portfolio coherent, complementary, and. Uh, our main aim in Malaysia in particular is really to recruit new consumers and uh, we have still a lot to do in this territory. So yes, we will bring new brands. We have the most important uh, and big brands already existing in the market. Some of them are being launched or will be launched very soon as well. And uh, we, will, we will expand our portfolio in the future. What are the consumer trends that you see driving this decision and what new brands to bring in? Uh, who are the new target consumers that uh, you're looking at? What is fantastic about Malaysia, it's a very uh, young nation, young country with, uh, with uh, consumers that are very eager to, um, to, to have beauty experiences. And beauty plays a very important role in Malaysia. I, I must say, uh, and very often when friends are asking me, what do you do in life? You know, what, my answer would be, I'm trying to, to help people to uh, look good, to feel good to express themselves, to give themselves confidence. And all of these attributes are making the beauty category quite unique when you think of it and compare it to some other industries uh, that you really bring something more than a simple product to, 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 to our consumers. So it's about experience and the self-expression and given the confidence is something very important. And I believe that this young generation is aspiring to that, is aspiring to explore, of course, the 
the, the efficacy and the performance of our products, but also to, to, to help them to grow, to help them to, to feel better, to help them to, to express themselves in the society. How do you change that mindset that L'Oreal is perhaps the product for their parents and grandparents rather than for the younger consumer? Because 100-year-old brand, right? There has to be some hang-up in terms of being it seen as very traditional, very conventional. Uh, what is your strategy to kind of you know, rejig that impression? If I come back to what we mentioned in the beginning, so many, uh, many of uh, consumers or many of people in, in, uh, in Malaysia might know our brands more than the company, right? Mm. And uh, so that's why we have many brands because uh, each brand is having a particular role. And uh, uh, I'll give you an example of the, of the brand like Maybelline, which, uh, which is a fantastic brand recruiting the new young consumers into the category of the makeup, educating them. Uh, I'll give you another example from the world of luxury. Uh, YSL Beauty is a fantastic brand now, very trendy, very young, also playing uh, its role in its territory and its positioning, but also rejuvenate, rejuvenating in a way our consumer set that we have and and bringing new, uh, new consumers to new categories. In the case of YSL, it would be the perfumes, the fragrance market, which is absolutely booming these days. So this is something very new and very exciting. So this is what I mean. We have a, a different set of brands answering to the needs of different uh, segments of the consumers. And this is how we expand and recruit uh, uh, more Malaysians to our brand. I'm speaking to Thomas Hruska, CEO of L'Oreal Malaysia. When we come back, how is L'Oreal rising to meet the sustainability imperatives of the current generation? Stay tuned to BFM 89.9. You are listening to The Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G makes business sense. Thanks for staying tuned to The Breakfast Grill. I'm Shazana Mokhtar and with me today is Thomas Hruska, CEO of L'Oreal Malaysia. Now, Thomas, earlier on, we were discussing just the range of brands that you have, brands that um, are meant to meet all the different segments of society that you hope to attract as consumers. Can I ask in terms of um, your acquisitions at this moment, do you have strategies to acquire local brands or, or how do you view the local beauty brand landscape? Is there anything there that catches your eye in terms of what you think L'Oreal might acquire given the consumer that you're targeting? So first of all, the, the acquisition strategy of the group is not happening on the, on the level of, of, of the country. Of course, we, we spot the market and the role of each market is to, is to look for those fantastic brands that are happening. But of course, all of this strategy is taking uh, is happening locally, is happening globally, and uh, and uh, and our role here is to spot the trends and to, of course, uh, bring it to 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 our uh, to our management and to to our colleagues in Paris. Mm. So that would be the role of the country that we play. Now, what we observe here uh, uh, in Malaysia is, of course, the there are many brands being launched on, on the market. It's it's a very competitive market, very interesting market. Uh, we are leading company, but uh, with a relatively small market share. If you think of it, uh, uh, on the worldwide level, we we estimate our market share to be around 14%, uh, being the largest beauty company in the world. So you, that gives you an indication how how big is the, the the number of the brands on the market, right? And many brand, many brands are are born every year. Uh, not all of these brands are passing also the test of the time. So uh, we have a lot of these indie brands that appear every year uh, and uh, not all of them are making it through, right? It's, it's, it's a lifetime. It would be somewhere around two to three years to really make, uh, 
make it happen or not. Mm. So that's one trend we see. And uh, many of these brands are also appearing because the, the barriers that were existing some years ago to enter the category are probably less important today. Uh, uh, social media, e-commerce, all of that help uh, brands to appear. And uh, and we see it, and we see it. We it's it's. I think it's great news for the consumers. They have more choice. There are new trends. Our role is also to, of course, not only to spot the brands and look at them, but also to adjust our strategy and and answer to to to, to what we see. And okay. uh, and it's helping us to be stronger, helping us also to to react, to modernize, to stay in the tune of time and be always relevant to our consumers. So mm. this is how we look at the competition. But once again, I like the competition. It's very stimulating. It's making us, uh, it's making us... Keeps you uh, on your toes. Absolutely. Yeah. Can we talk about sustainability issues? Because there's a lot of scrutiny on sustainability and ethical claims of beauty brands. And L'Oreal has fallen foul of watchdogs, including last year in June when the Changing Markets Foundation accused um, L'Oreal of greenwashing in terms of sustainable packaging claims. How have you addressed these allegations? I would first like to say that we have been one of the first company to, to really step into uh, all the sustainability agenda back in the time. I think we have started, and it's important to mention, uh, back in 2000 already to have some of the first strategies. We have then formalized it in a very coherent uh, first uh, formulated strategy, it was in 2013. Uh, this strategy was called Sharing Beauty with All, and it was formulated around the idea of um, of setting, of course, the, the goals uh, against 2020 on, uh, on our impact uh, when it comes to the CO2, when it comes to the plastic, when it comes to the biodiversity, when it comes to the water consumption. And during this period between 2013 and 2020, we were able to decouple the, the growth and the impact on, on the environment that our production went up by 45%, mm -hmm. our CO2 emissions went down by 90%. So it gives you an example that there was a strong focus already between, uh, let's say, 2013 and 2020. And then in 2020, we formulated a new strategy uh, because we thought that we have done very well, but we need to go much further. And we have formulated a new strategy called uh, Laurel for the Future. Uh, and the difference of this strategy that, that we said, okay, we will not uh, do it alone because the previous approach was that, okay, we will do work within our ecosystem of production, of product development, and this you can control relatively easily. So we made it a little bit hard for ourselves, but this is what is needed because we need to include our suppliers, we need to include the consumers, we need to include the communities. So many of the new KPIs that we have today uh, in our Laurel for the Future program are uh, are related to what we call uh, in the sustainability language the scope uh, one, two, and three, mm -hmm. meaning including your suppliers downstream, um, also all the upstreams, including the consumers in it. So many of that. Uh, let me give you an example. We, for instance, we commit that we are going to 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 decrease the consumption of of CO two of the products used by the that comes from the usage of uh, of our products uh, by our consumers. And we, we, we set ourselves an objective to decrease it by 25%. Scope three by 25%. Scope, yes, from the consumer usage. And this, this is quite exciting because it opens you up completely new territories of how you can... Uh, how you can make a change, right? Mm. And you realize that the scope one, which is your, your production, and we were very good in that. You know, we had a lot of uh, what we call water loop factories. You know, there's no wastewater coming out of factories. A lot of uh, the production, a lot of recycling happening, but really to make a big impact, you need to go scope two, scope three, you need to include the whole of the ecosystem, uh, include consumers, which, which, is, which is fantastic. And that's, uh, that's a new 
new frontier and uh, we are absolutely motivated to go there. And because it's a new frontier, I suppose that uh, it means that it's not going to be smooth sailing. You will have people calling out some of your uh, maybe strategies or some of your measures, but it's all part of that process of coming to an equilibrium in terms of how companies should measure their sustainability goals. Of course, and I'm not saying it's easy. It's uh, we, we set these targets because first we believe that we have as a leader of the industry the responsibility to do it. We have the responsibility to move uh, the suppliers, you know, to join us on this on this ecosystem. Once again, we on ourselves we can we can be uh, we can be carbon neutral in in many of the sites, which is already the case. And we but we ask also our our suppliers to do the same, and we help them, you know, providing them the tools and all of the all of the value chain of our products is designed in a way that uh, you know from the origin, from the ingredient. Uh, all the way to the production and to the usage, you know, all of these principles are integrated. So suppliers on one side and consumers on the other side, that's absolutely, absolutely what is needed. And it makes the, the KPI harder to achieve. Mm. I'm, I'm not saying it, it's an easy ride, but uh, this is what, what's needed. Mm. Let's end on your outlook for the Malaysia-Singapore business. I mean, we see global business has been booming for L'Oreal. You mentioned it, uh, first half year for 2023, 13% growth in sales, but we are seeing this shadow of global economic uncertainty, also cost of living issues starting to bite, especially here in Malaysia. Are you expecting a slowdown in growth numbers for Malaysia-Singapore in the coming year? I am very optimistic. And as the group is very optimistic on the on the worldwide level, we project the market to grow significantly between uh, between today and 2030. I think today we estimate the beauty market at around 270 billion euros uh, worldwide. We believe that it will move closer to 400 billion euros, so quite substantial growth because of uh, two factors. I think one is uh, this middle class is growing, of course, uh, in the world and accessing to, to the consumption. Uh, and beauty, as I mentioned previously, is one of the categories that is very aspiring in, the, in, in this in this respect. And second, there is also a premiumization of the beauty consumption. All of these consumers, they are looking for better products, better experiences. Let it be on the efficiency or on um, you know on the respect of environment, as I mentioned. So yes, there is going to be a growing market. We see this growing market trend, uh, of course, in the wider region of Southeast Asia and in particular in, in, in Malaysia and Singapore. I believe that uh, we have a lot to do in the penetration of the different beauty categories. Of course, we uh, we see and we hear all the concerns that the people might be having looking at the worldwide uh, uh, conjuncture these days. Uh, but uh, you probably heard about the lipstick phenomenon effect that uh, that even when the times are tougher, the, the the beauty is one category that goes a little bit against the economic cycles, right? Because you would uh, probably first start cutting on your on your new house, on your car, but you, the beauty plays this role of, of a pleasure, a little treat, which is very important these days. And uh, this notion of taking care of, uh, of yourself right. and the self-betterment is very important. So yes, so the market will grow, the, the, the beauty will grow. We have a lot to grow on our side in terms of uh, of size in terms of getting new consumers. So, Do you have specific targets that you're working towards? Well, my ambition, and I've been very vocal in it when, when we created this, uh, this uh, organization, Malaysia Singapore, would be to, to, double, our, uh, to double our size. And uh, so it's not only about doubling the, the turnover or these financial KPIs, but really to have uh, two times more consumers than we have today. And this is uh, exciting missions that we have ahead of us for the next five years. Thomas, thanks so much for speaking with me today. 
Thank you very much for having me. I've been speaking to Thomas Hurskas, CEO of L'Oreal Malaysia. This has been The Breakfast Grill on BFM 89.9. The BFM Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G makes business sense. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.